Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. We're all congested. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, the congested edition. Oh yeah. I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. And we are both... Just full of boogers and phlegm. Just snotty goodness for you. We come to you live from the Indian summer edition where it's like freaking 90 degrees today and we're both dripping sweat and it's September. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That or ha 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 fever. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's a mine's I'm like just I I haven't stopped sweating since noon. So uh, today we're going to review the first release of Year of the Ally. Uh, source book for Vampire the Masquerade, Ghouls, Fatal Addiction. And it is about ghouls, as it were. It's it's a read. It's ghoulish. Yeah, it is. Before we do that, though, we're going to answer some questions from our audience. Dun, 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 hey! Yay! So the first one comes from Devin Jacob, and he sent us a message on our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com. Ed, he says, hi, a little while ago, my friend came across your podcast and you guys gave him a whole new perspective on the world and clans. Thanks to this, he started storytelling again, which has made us very happy. And that, to interrupt, makes us very happy as well. That's awesome. Very happy. I have two questions. First, I'd like some guidance for playing a redemptive vampire, seeking the redemption through Catholic uh, repentance. My humanity hit three after a number of diableries, some ruthless collecting of potential Regents, I'm Tremere, and I was very close to dealing with demons for power. I like power, so I've sought redemption. It helps that I've uh, stared death in the face as I narrowly survived an Archon Justicar investigation. Since I've chosen Catholicism as my medium, my storyteller, who is Catholic, is pushing the problems of usual kindred influence in dealing with mortals. Ghouling using, using disciplines uh, on and otherwise manipulating the humans is a no-go, but also being dishonest in shady dealings with kindred is frowned upon, as it should be for anyone seeking redemption. So, I'd like some advice on how to move forward with this. It's worth noting that the rest of the Coterie isn't interested in redemption. Second question is, how do, you, how do we best play an Asimite in a standard Camarilla Coterie? Or with a Tremere, no less. We don't have the knowledge of what was in the Asimite book and the fanaticism beforehand. The player just wanted to be an assassin. But now here we are, and we want to be better player characters. So let's break this down to yeah. the first question, that of redemption through the lens of Catholicism. Very interesting because there's there's movies that make that real easy to get inspiration, right? Bram Stoker's Dracula, I think, is good. Although he wasn't like straight up Catholic as we know nowadays, it gives you a great idea what happens when you hate God. And but but and it's tough because in my eyes, he didn't hate God as much as it was he hate the loss of his love, is what happened. And it was so extreme that rather than face the fact that he was the cause of her death by the warring he was doing and. He was out in the field, she was there, and she took her life so they couldn't use her as leverage against him. Right. He he just threw it all away to, to hate on God and got cursed with immortality. In there is an answer if you wish to dissect it. There are tons of forums that go over that movie with a lot of love. I'll give you my perspective. I think it's a romantic notion to have to redeem yourself once falling so far. And mechanically, at three, you look like your beast. It's already there. Right. The blackened veins, the almost Buffy-esque vampire demonic features that we got used to because the show's a little campy 
It is campy. I like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I actually did. I can admit that with all due of a plum. But the fact is, is that even the vampires are ridiculous. I mean, it was meant to be campy. That was the show. But the special effects I always thought were cool. Like the older ancient vampires look near demonic Batman, which fit that very well. But you're what I like to call first stage demonic Batman. Now, why this why this whole rhetoric I'm going into is because you got to understand the psychological impact of humanity. A lot of people like to assume they're human and they're cursed suddenly with this uh, with this beast out of nowhere. I think on a personal level, the read between the lines they're saying is that once you are embraced, you die, and what now inhabits you is the beast. It's a new infant beast, and it doesn't know anything than other what, it, what its host has. It's that simple. And what you're warring with is a simple fact is the beast is trying to howl its urges through you. And to keep your humanity is to keep it quiet, keep it control, right. keep it at bay. Well, as inevitably time goes on, you're going to frenzy from hunger. You're going to frenzy from stimuli. You're going to mess up and lose control. And the beast gets that much of a claw to becoming your unique form of a predator. There's a symbiosis is what I'm trying to say. And that's exactly how we should look at disciplines as well. It, is it you that wanted the power? Because I highly doubt your mortal concept of walking around in everyday life. Everybody wants to get more money, but right. they want more money just to make life comfortable. I don't think anybody ever wants to be a tyrant. As much as it is, it lands in your lap. Except for Bertie Madoff, but yeah, right. you yeah. Give, you give the exceptions point, do you know being but what to, they are. But to follow that down the road, you got to look at what happens. Right now, you got this beast in you who your urges are now the only focus. Right, that's the mentality. You think of a lust? No, it's different. You want blood. You know, you want power? No, you kill the guy. It was. In, I mean, it's it's extreme, and you got to hold those impulses back, and you got to think in your head constantly. It's not a slide of humanity as much as it is. I got to keep these urges back. But then it comes to the aspect, the realization: those urges are you, right? Those are still you, and this beast is trying to to exert itself. Your discipline usage and progression of expending XP should follow the experiences your player goes through because that's your beast adapting to the environment it's in. And there's the double-edged sword. There's the true call to power. Mm -hmm. The more you learn in disciplines, the faster you go up in that, in my head, the more your urges take control of you, the stronger they are. Because that means you're giving in to the beast. You're letting it have control and have that power. Therefore, how do you wage your humanity against it? And, and that said, falling so far as to get to three, and if I remember from the question, you Infernal, right, was mentioned? He he got close. He was at the precipice of communicating with demons. Okay, so going that far, in my opinion, you're in, you, you can't be redeemed. Right. You cannot. You went to the precipice and backed off because you almost died, not because you saw the light. Right. You you stared into the abyss and you were scared about what you saw. What makes me an expert on talking about this is just experience. And one book I think I may be the only person to have bought it. It's called The State of Grace that highlights humanity, period in a world of darkness from the vampiric perspective. And in the state of grace, it tells you it, it's chalk filled with what true sacrifice and redemption is. Once you choose to redeem yourself, there is no going back. As they stated, you fall so far, you're aware that good deeds need to happen, that you have to feed the homeless. You have to care for children who can't fend for themselves. Uh, help old ladies cross the street, help a family get their grocery. But none of this at all does, do you care about at, at three. And, and even before that, you truly don't care unless you did. Right. In other words, generosity, you can't pay lip service to generosity, turn around, spend XP, and buy humanity. Right. 
And any ST that lets you do that, eh, it's you're missing the point. Well, and, and also, I think it's really important to point out, um, you know, you mentioning that book and talking about the character loving power. What I read in that, and I apologize if this is not how you intended it, but what I read in it was you're at such a low point of your humanity, you can see the end is near. The horizon is ahead of you. And instead of playing through the character's demise or playing through whatever transformation you would end up going through, you say, oh, I got to get my humanity back because if I don't get my humanity back, I've got, I don't have much longer to do this. I don't have much longer to play the game. And with your storyteller saying, no, you can't manipulate people. No, you can't use your influence. No, you can't do these terrible things because you are, you are trying to actively redeem yourself. To me, something would have got, had to have gotten you to the point where you said, I've gone too far. I, I need to step back. I don't know what I was thinking, but it's obvious to me that your bloodlust is transferring to a sort of rationalization in the player's mind and going, oh, my storyteller said Catholicism is the way, but like, how do I juke that system? Now, the skills have tipped, right? Your beast is in control at three, and the echoes are your humanity now. That's what's trying to come through you and tell you to do this good stuff. But I would focus on that concept. What would your character still remember that's good? I recently had a player struggle with his own loss of humanity, getting nearly as low as you, who tried to turn around and say he's going to be start listening to the music of his mother that she used to sing to him when he was a child and dancing around alone and doing all this stuff basically where no one can see it. And uh, he'll listen to this and I'll, I'll tell you what I told him, which is how does that I, I try to translate through his character. I said, you'll find yourself dancing to this music, remembering what it is, but your mind now just can't see why it doesn't understand what you're trying to do. You're having the memory and you're kind of working through it. And then uh, you feel like feeding. There's other funner things to do that warrant your time and expenditure. You just can't spend it wasting about some silly concept as what a child would want to do. Because you're far from a child now. That's what you're battling. Your storyteller now should not be working to tell you what you have to do to redeem. He should be working to paint the world through the terror and horror that you now accept as your meat and drink. Every cha every encounter, every mortal you come across should instinctively know to flee you. Yeah, instinctively. Yeah. It should be you walking along empty streets as people rapidly cross to avoid you. And it doesn't matter how pretty you are or how good you look. You exude a level of terror that should be evident. The other half of that shoe, it should also be the storyteller telling you that those people you do, you find there there are what is it uh, rituals and disciplines and what have you that can help mask that a bit. And undoubtedly, you have them if you got that low and survived the Justicar purge. But the fact is, now when you get around someone and you're in those scenes, that storyteller should be doing his damn best to be the devil on your shoulder. How you have to go talk to the prince? Why? Isn't it simpler to just kill the prince? Is He hasn't been where you have. Has he stared into hell? Does he have the vaguest notion of, of anything relating to the power cosmos? You are a, you know hell exists and you were about to talk to the fallen who are who inhabit it what has he done today period right they can't hold a candle to you so i say to you as the, as the player i challenge you to not fight where you're at but work in conjunction with your storyteller doing one thing he's telling you the road is catholicism i understand that's that's what he's it's what he's using that's the tool he's saying you could do it i say you throw off those shackles you don't do a thing you go through your vampiric abilities and your day in, day out, and what you should be role-playing is the fact that your actions are commonly monstrous, because that's what they are at this point. 
However, you should now have moments when that that uh, humanity slips in, where it just slips in. Like there's a time you go feeding and you choose to let go of your prey and not kill them tonight. And now you're trying to rationalize why you're doing that. You don't fully understand. It's sort of reverse. Imagine right. if this game was where your beast starts at seven. You know, it's not your road of humanity. It's road of the beast. And it starts at seven. And you want to stop yourself from becoming moral. <laughs> you don't want to be human again. So kind of think of it in reverse because that's the only way to portray it where people will feel you are different and to make that horrific. Understanding both sides of the fence is what I'm saying. Right. So on to your second question. Your second question was, how does an Asimite engage in a normal Camarilla game? Well, I guess really fundamentally it comes down to like what version of the game you're playing. If you're playing current V20, well, there's there's been a schism. There's a whole group of individuals that don't necessarily buy into the web of knives, Asimite, warrior, bloodthirsty assassin ideology. And they've gone to the Camarilla. So they have a differing perspective. Now, I think one thing that's really important to remember, whenever you have a coterie, your coterie exists for a purpose. Your group exists to... to find a goal to they have something about them that unifies them now that's up to you and the other players to figure out in conjunction with your storyteller so if there's an asimite who just wanted to be an assassin and they don't follow the tenets of the asimite clan well there you go they don't follow those tenets if you made them before you understood how that clan worked maybe you're an anomaly you're 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 somehow not part of that parent clan. You're not an anomaly. If you're playing an assassin and you're an Asimite warrior, that's what you are. Um, unless you're a vizier. Vizier are the scholars of the clan. If you're a sorcerer, then you're a sorcerer of the clan. And the viziers and sorcerers have a better grasp of humanity. That's what they follow because their job is not to kill. They can, and in, indeed they train to, because every Asimite is a workable killer. However, it's the warriors who are the dyed-in-the-wool. They're the ones who have earned the fear and carved it out. And when the schism hits, it's because what do you do when your think tank, when the bulk of your warriors do one thing, and that's kill everything, yet someone's going to have a moral conscience pull. And they did, and that's Tagirius. And Tagirius sits as the vizier of the clan and decided to, you know, work with Al-Shrad, and they joined the Camarilla because something is going on up top. Now, we know what that is. Instead, in V20, they were round the the clock before Urshul Gi wakes up. He ain't up yet. Old Man of Mountain wasn't killed, that's still intact. And he did it so the Asimite clan is playable without an inherent need to go and kill everything. And so they join because they hear spooky rumors of their elders waking up. And you gotta remember, Urshul Gi and Children of the Night, if you want an idea of how the warriors need to be, he gives zero fucks about your god, your your Islam, or anything. All there is is Hakim, and I believe I'm quoting a book to say, he existed when the skies rained blood. Right. He's biblical. You don't step to that guy with anything but Hakeem in your heart and on your lips. And that's the whole warrior faction. Right now, even in V20, they're following that creed. So if your player is playing an Asimite that is Alamut trained, is a loyalist, and possibly Web of Knives, it's usually the best bet, right? Why, why go half-ass half with it? Right. The only way you can be in that coder is if you're under contract. And the only way you're doing that is if you're following the Kabars. The Kabars allow secrecy. Right. They allow you to lie, right? If, if it's in course of doing, being you and serving your clan. You still obey the Silsila, the elders. You'll still obey Alishrod and Tagirius. You'll still follow their lead. You will not interrupt Asimite activity. That is forbidden in the Kabars. 
but you will lie to that coterie and be their best friend if they need you to be their best friend. Right. But I think you should alarm the shit out of them. You should make them think you're several different people. Because in any situation that they need something done, if you can do it, go do it. Because the more useful you are, the more you can use them to get your contract completed. And that's what it's all about. And so I say, if you're a warrior, stay on contract, stay on task, and you very easily can work within a coterie. Yeah. And on the mention of coteries, um, you know, we, we kind of like brushed over the fact that he mentioned in his first question that his coterie was not into redemption, that they're, they're not concerned with that. They don't give a shit about that. And um, I don't, I, I have to make assumptions because I don't, I don't feel like we've been given enough information. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, we don't know if that individual's coterie are just as fucked up as he is. We don't know if that coterie is not in need of it. You know, perhaps they're much more humane than he is. But every aspect of this game, I, I think that it's a responsibility of a storyteller to spend some time with each player and help them to develop their character. Just because your coterie isn't into redemption or they don't care about it or they haven't experienced what you had that maybe put you on the path to redemption doesn't mean you shouldn't be allowed to explore that. And you don't have to leave it up to the storyteller either. You can put your fellow players in check. You got a torter being just as diaboristic and psychotically damned as you. Um, bring him along. Call him a buddy. Get him to do your work for you. Right. Toady him up. And when that person starts telling you it's not part of their concept, remind them of the bloody nights where it also wasn't part of his concept. Right, and, and, right, right. And, you know, bring them in, in for a penny, in for your life. Right. You know, and also there, I think that there are occasions, rare occasions where, you know, you as a player might have to reassess what it is that you're playing and how you fit in. Because if your fellow players and your storyteller are dead set on going down this path that you were on and you no longer fit, you don't feel like you have a place anymore. Maybe it's time to rethink that concept. You know, we all hate having to retire characters, and you shouldn't do it lightly. Uh, I feel like in most 99 out of 100 times, you shouldn't. But there are those occasions where you and your concept and where you're going with it just don't fit, and now your coterie has to break up. I say embrace your level 3 humanity that you got to. I'm not saying outdo it because it'd be damn hard to outdo to lower it less than that. But I would seek out roads, paths Uh of enlightenment. There are lures that you undoubtedly came across. If you came across infernalism, you heard of other ways of oh, being. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And follow those up. You know, Challenge yourself to find another way of life in existence. There's a such thing as Golconda, and there's a such thing as having a suspire in Golconda, but it doesn't have to be in humanity, and that's the thing. So if there's a road to power, and I would recommend power and inner voice, or uh, there's a road of the devil that you could look up if you're truly, I mean, dep- any flavor you want. Right. They have, uh, Chaining the Beast has a ton of paths right. in it, that you can dig into to figure it out. And I and I really feel it answers that. Yeah. Redemption doesn't always have to come from the standard, you know, preconceived notions of what redemption uh is, you know. Yep. Definitely like you were and and I think really we need to drive that home. Like if you were able to get information about infernalism, if you were given an opportunity to consult with demons and consort with them, it shouldn't be difficulty a, a difficulty at all to also get access to you know a, a road path of path, pain you know uh what's a nodist what's uh right honorable court i mean all these, these are all paths that you can look up read and they're there right you can find them find your redemption elsewhere so uh thank you for your questions um now uh here's another question um from facebook and um i think bob already answered this on the Facebook page, but I just wanted to read it and share it with our listeners. Um, 
from Steven, uh, going to run Chicago first using V20 for the wife. Thought it was funny that Loden was in his 20s vampire years when he became Prince. Question. Just listened to your World of Darkness Sourcebook podcast and wanted your thoughts. Should I use Gaki or Kindred of the East for flavor in Chinatown? I really like the Prince of the City novel back in the day. I believe I, uh, I just said that both work. They have their place. I really feel that Gaki are the watered-down version of Kindred of the East. Like, if you don't want to use Kindred of the East, when a bunch of rules. Right. I believe I put in there, it's like using the Lupine templates out of the V20 book instead of Werewolf 20. Right. Uh, you know, making full-out characters. You know, they have supplementals to quickly run the antagonist. So Gaki serve that uh, for Kindred of the East, and they're quick to use for that. On the other hand, Kindred of the East has more than enough material, and there's more than enough printed to open up a plethora, a world, uh, of what exists for the for the Eastern Kindred in conjunction with what goes on uh, with uh, the traditional World of Darkness vampires. Right. And what I say to that is, if you're not ready to step into that, don't step into it. Because yeah. you're just going to tire yourself out in your original chronicle. And eventually you're going to get to a point of, well, why are my players... I'm focused on my players being here in Chicago, and I'm spending all this time on reading about mandarins right and in the dynasties that they have i mean it's it's you don't want to pull yourself away from it right i I think that's a very important thing for anybody trying to storytell a game is the antagonist that you're going to use you i think your biggest goal as a storyteller is the movement and the pace continues normally and you don't want to clutter a table with a bunch of books and have to look in a book every time you want to know the you know the power that this antagonist uses Use them like they use side characters in a show, in a movie. You know, use enough that you're not writing a dissertation and handing it to your players. Right. But they get the flavor. They see the differences that are inherent in these different supernatural entities. You know, so really. I like like what you said there. They get the flavor. Right. I I really think what Nate's, I mean, just to simplify it, I think I find a simpler way to say this. Um it doesn't matter what the rules are for Kindred of the East. If you read them and you get it, don't worry about the rules right. for the powers they have. Like, go through the book and look at the powers that Kindred of the East have, and don't even be concerned about how they're they're actually comport their courts or whatever. But just make sure you restrain yourself to the servants of those courts. You know, there's it's Chicago. It's up to you. If the, if the Kindred of the East is the focus of the game and they're taking over everything in your world of darkness, then obviously you, it's, it's a moot point. Right to your question but if they're just a part that you would like to bring in in uh sort of a cameo keep it simple yeah absolutely i feel like very much so the world of darkness is like a really good chili right there's your there's your meat and depending on where you live your beans but there's all these little flavors that don't seem super important individually but if something's missing you can tell however you know i'm not gonna put 10 cayenne peppers in this pot because then it's going to be overwhelming and now suddenly it's just a pot of cayenne peppers right you know just season it well but don't over season it because then it's going to affect the whole flavor of your pot so yeah that's uh that's i would agree doesn't really help you out if you're in chicago watch big trouble in little china (laughs) if you're listening to this and you haven't watched big trouble in little china go to the bathroom and slap yourself 18 times and say david lopan at the end of it and Jack Burton. And then, it's got to be a slap, David LePan, slap, right. Jack Burton, and that's one slap. Right. And then go and watch Big Trouble in Little China, because shame on you. Fantastic <laughs> film. And uh, it's a it's a character in the world of darkness, so how about that? It is. Maybe something you didn't know. Anyways, uh, moving on. Thank you for uh, sending us your questions. Feel free to send them anytime to our Facebook or Twitter. What you looking at? 
Oh, I thought there was a lot more. That was it. No, no, those are old. Those are old questions. Okay, got yeah, it. those are old. Sorry, guys. Uh, those are old questions. We got plenty more for another day, but uh, we should probably get on to our our ghouling fatal yep. addictions uh, with this book review. So, initial thoughts, Bob. What are your initial thoughts on ghouls' fatal addiction? Uh, here's the thing. I think it's a great book if you have trouble wrapping your mindset around portraying a ghoul in your games. If you have difficulty in understanding how unique it is writing that line between immortality and mortality, you know what it, what it's like to be Renfield, right? What he goes through. Then okay, sure, read the book, get the book. If you feel you got a good grasp on it, I suppose you don't have to. I will say this: a well-developed ghoul can make or break a PC. Period. No, yeah, I, don't, I don't mean them playing one. I mean as a storyteller. Storytellers have to have this book because yeah. it's going to bore you to tears yeah. on a lot of points because you're like, duh, duh, duh. However, right. you will watch your role play and portrayal of the ghoul become more intimate, more involved, more understanding and depth is reached because of this book. Right. And not only is this book full of useful information about both like the physiology of the ghouls, the different... Uh, uh, ailments and maladies that can strike a ghoul, but it also gives you information for playing a ghoul in a game. Have you ever wanted to play a blood slave? Well, here you go. And you can, because blood slaves have a place, revenants have a place. Right, absolutely. These are all part of the ghoul line. Um, it's it's fantastic, and, and actually, arguably, revenants are not even quite ghouls, right? Um, as it's as it's stated. Uh, but we'll get to that. The point. And- Go ahead. The point is, is that when you when you're a player and you're like, "Hey, I want to play a ghoul," um, most players think hunter ghouls. Right, it's your go-to. I'm be staking people during the day and helping my master do great. Um, do remember this: you're too good, you get embraced. <laughs> That's what happens. Right. And are you portraying a ghoul correctly? Right. At that point, it does. It's not to say you can't, and it ain't going to happen inevitably. But the storyteller undoubtedly is not going to have just a group of ghouls. Right. Playing a game in a coterie, especially a mixed game. If it's an all ghoul game, I got nothing yeah. to say but have fun. And and it gives you information for that in this book. It it suggests like, hey, run an all ghoul game. You know, th- it's it's a different flavor of the world of darkness from a different perspective. Where those that rarely have a light shined on them, those who serve in sort of darkness and who knows what their lives are like, now your players can focus and play those characters, those sort of side characters and become the major focus while things happen in the background that maybe they only know parts of stories that you know you can partially tell you're fixing like mixed mixed viewpoint chronicles which is always i'm a fan of those i will tell you from experience it takes great maturity and people invested in a game to do it if you don't have that it's going to end terrible because people will not keep up with the info just caveat and that's all right so um going through this book uh, of course, it opens with a story like they all do, and then it opens up with, uh, after that story, it gives us some some basic information about what we're going to find in this book, and then we get, for all us nerds who really like to know, like, <laughs> what what's the scientific end of, of ghouls and vampiric blood, this gives you a pretty solid little dissertation by Dr. Douglas Netchurch. Um, Who's and- Douglas Netchurch? He's the world of darkness answer to a doctor of the kindred physiology. Yeah. So he st- really, it's, um, I forget what they call him. It's, uh, he's studying and researching immortality, but the blood, how does the right. blood do it? Right. And, uh, that's, that's what his focus is, but undoubtedly it goes into other things. Right. In, in, in these books, I think this is probably the first like canon book. This is the first time we've come across 
his name. That's true. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know if he's been in any fiction because we haven't we haven't followed that uh, along the these lines. But this is another character that becomes very important in Revised, and there's some other characters that are presented to us as well. And so they give us a couple of these essays on what can happen to the physical form of a ghoul and what can happen to the the mental uh, form of a ghoul, what can happen to a ghoul's brain, uh, derangements and how psychology affects them, and what happens to a human being when they live for, you know, 100 years past their lifespan or 800 years past their right. lifespan. Um, then they give us a really cool thing, which is some hard and fast rules. And they sort of just lay these out in alphabetical order so you can go in here and go, hey, what happens if uh, a ghoul overdoses on vampire blood? Hey, what happens when they go through withdrawal? Right. And then um, we go into to chapter two and we're introduced to two more characters in name only, Beckett and Lucida. And uh, it's very interesting. And we I'm have a- positive this book. They already had fiction out with and, it. And, and they probably did because I don't think that they would have just you right. know, sp- splashed them on the page. But as far as like canon books are concerned, right. in Vampire the Masquerade, that's the first time that we encounter them. But in this book, because uh, so, we went over them briefly, we should, uh, because honestly, they are what they are. Not mm-hmm. much to talk about. I like to point out the story elements portrayed by them. If you're playing a ghoul going through withdrawal, um, it definitely needs to be played out fiending. Right. Like what like you can't go wrong doing drug research for DTs and what desperation makes folks do in real life. Right. And but now translate that when you know that the blood is all. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, they talk about these guys cutting open humans to drink blood to try to keep it down to to curb the want, and it doesn't curb it. They go to horrific lengths to do it. This is why you don't ghoul the mayor. <laughs> right. just, just an FYI. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. You don't want to keep people in high-profile positions and and have them drink your blood and be loyal only to you. I mean, it's great. Get your right. control for a time. But unless you plan on 86 in that guy at some day, and the good luck. Well, right? and, and they talk about, too, some of the real perils of ghouling someone is that they, they slowly sort of fall into an obsessed love with you. But like a vampire, they're prone to frenzy. Yep. When you ghoul... A human being, you give them a small little bit of your beast, and it's as if the blood awakens something in them. And while they are less likely to frenzy than a vampire, the it, the instances for them to frenzy are far greater. They there share, are so many things. They share characteristics of the blood given, like the weaknesses, right? And that could be there to a very milder extent, like Nate just said. But you gotta hit those home. If you're letting someone just play a ghoul, walk around saying, "Hey man, it's cool. I go in a day. I'm mortal, right? And I'm strong, right? I also can heal, man." Yeah. Well, you know, one example that they give in here of a ghoul's potential to frenzy is if you show favor to another ghoul, right? And why is that? Think about how you may you might feel if you're you're at work, you've been busting your hump trying to get this project done, and your boss comes around and the guy that sits across from you, he gives him a bunch of compliments for some other thing and just walks right past you. Your immediate response is to be like, man, f- what about me? Fuck, did, you know, what did I do all week? Some people aren't built that way. Right. Some but, people genuinely would see. Right. You know, hey, all right, there you go. That's, uh, he did good on something. Sure. I don't just worry about me. But I want you to think, Mr. Apple Polisher, who is this person, um, when you have a loved one, like your, like your person you love a lot, you're right. involved. I mean, you were obsessed with them. You're in that stage where it's, you know, rose colored glasses and, you know, they've, they've, 
affirm the love they feel for you right back. Everything's gravy. Another another chick or another guy comes in the room, depending on your sexual preference, and suddenly your lover is doting on them. Right. Pays them the, the due service they should be, giving them the attention they should have spent on you. Yeah, and, absolutely. And then how do you deal with that? Now imagine you have a beast that pushes you to do the extreme. You got to defend what's yours. That territory, that territoriality. I'm not even saying it right. That territorial nature. Excuse me. I found it. That territorial nature is compounded, even to your master. Now, but what do you do when suddenly you act up and lash out another ghoul in front of your master, and you've just embarrassed him, him or her? How's your master going to take it? That's where the fun comes right. in playing a ghoul. When you play a ghoul, oh, please don't forget that number one reason to act out to watch that player who's supposed to be your master. Have to see if that's approving or disapproving. Right. And how they got to go through with it. Because that relationship you have with your dominer, and that's what it is, by the way. We should probably get into the terms, yeah. too. Um, a dominer is the one who has ghouled someone. the Or, you know, sometimes they call them the regnant, right? Right. And you could, you could hear that phrase thrown around, too. It's all the same thing. The donor of the blood. Right. Absolutely. So this these first two chapters, by and large, are going to tell you about the physiology of your ghoul. They're going to tell you the different things that can happen to your ghoul. They're going to tell you how ghouls are typically treated by the different clans, by the different sects, by the independent clans, <coughs> pardon me, um, and so on. So you're going to get that the political feel. You're going to get all that information. You're basically going to get everything you ever wanted to know about a ghoul ever. Like, it's super thorough. There's so much information in here about this. Doesn't skip a step. In fact, we're not even going over every little bit because right. it's it's black and white. Right. It's it's you know read and follow along at uh, your pace. We'll do we'll do a little A to Z. Mm -hmm. How are ass and my ghouls treated? Only because they begin with an A. Well, and actually they're treated very well. They're remember the ass right. have a seven year process so that they have it, and their ghouls are the same. Even if you're not chosen uh, to be a member of the clan proper, you're still treated with a level of decency. Because you you're serving your life you your life you are giving uh, to still serve Hakim because you serve the children of Hakim right so therefore it's there but and you also have a devotion to do well and it goes very well with the with the obsession of the blood so awesome right that's cool conversely though let's see let's go with the what is it T that we jump to Zemis <laughs> sorry hang on one second. <laughs> Fuck. That'd be V. It'd be Ventru. As I remember the alphabet. Yes. Ventru ghouls. Still treated very well. Here's the thing. Reward. That's what's different. Ventru ghouls are often the carrots dangled in front of them. Uh, they're bred for whatever purpose they are. Everyone does that with ghouls, but to a Ventru ghoul, they usually have some sort of odd reward system. Like if, uh, if Nathaniel does well this eve and he actually gets a hold of that portfolio I wanted from X Corporation I've been trying to buy out for the last decade, I think tonight's the night I allow him to have a wife. Right. Wife of his choosing. We've had three. We've talked. And I think maybe breeding's in order. Good well, job, Nathaniel. And the cool thing about this is, too, is that it gives you not only the perspective of ghouls and how they're treated, but it also gives you the perspective of the dominers and how they tend to treat them because their perspective is going to be different. It is. And it's going to go through all the clans, all the bloodlines, as we said. And dominer distinctions are important because, again, STs need to know how to role play if you have a player ghoul. Right. That's why they're there. Also, STs, it doesn't hurt to tell your players if they ever want to know how to treat their ghoul, they can go here. 
However, I really don't prefer that method. I think if a player is going to have a retainer and it's a ghoul, that there should be a level of the storyteller knows how it's portrayed and allows that story to organically develop. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with that because I feel like whether or not you as a storyteller, the things that make your world more realistic are going to be having realistic perspectives on things. There are plenty of people in my life who I've known for years who I don't know every intimate dark secret about. I don't know everything that's going to trigger them to act a certain way. And even as a vampire, there should be things I don't necessarily know. Now, right. that that should play out, but it's important to me as a storyteller and as a player that my ghoul is not just a dot on a sheet. Right. You know, that is a human being whose life I'm altering. And it's going to be altered and it can never be repaired. Never, ever. They will never be the same. And they don't have the benefits of getting the embrace and <laughs> dying and, you know, their life changing. They're still people. And, you know, th I think that that story should be told. I think it's a good story to tell. Uh, so we're going to get into all that stuff. Then moving on to chapter three, we get into character creation. Um, oh, we skipped something. Good films to look for ghouls, right? Mm -hmm. They're vampire films. Uh, Fright Night 1 and 2. Fantastic. I want to say it's Fright Night 2 is one of the ones where... Uh, I don't know. I think it's still Fright Night 1 where the uh, the main villain, the vampire, has that ghoul who's, who they watch yank a coffin out with one hand. <laughs> it carried around and they're like, what the hell is he eating? And it's just mm -hmm. disproportionate. It doesn't work. It's also good because I think the main villain... I think it's Chambers. I forget. Uh, but it's a good hunter movie. Yeah, uh, for what it is in Fright Night One, the remake is good too, but it's far scarier uh, than the old ones are. But I, all three of those I recommend. Also, Vampire in Brooklyn, as comical as it may seem, uh, of a film, I think Eddie Murphy does a fantastic job playing a vampire right. in the film. I mean, an amazing job. And uh, the I forget the name of the of the actor who plays his ghoul, uh, but it's hysterical to to watch what he goes through. Uh, including the enlarged genitalia that he claims he got just by getting the guy's blood. <laughs> and it's uh, it's pretty hysterical. goes over a degeneration, though. That's the weird thing. Right. But that's the blood, right? That's that's the side effect of being a ghoul for this guy. Yeah. And uh, the one, two, three. I think that's enough. But that's a, why those are needed. I think Hollywood is the grand source for a lot of what uh, White Wolf pulls in to match up with historical references towards who may serve. Right. Uh, I think we, oh yeah, I'm dumb. Bram Stoker's Dracula, Renfield. There's many versions of uh, Dracula period to look at that have a Renfield. Renfield is the ghoul. Right. Whenever you think of that is the guy. Every film tries to emulate a Renfield of a type. Uh, because of obsessive nature, the eccentricities that he possesses, those ticks, those make a ghoul. Right. It should be unusual that a ghoul gets shot and doesn't die. Right. That can happen. Um, they could lose a limb, grow it back granted in time and that's where Domner gets to play interesting head games you know did you lose a limb are you worthy of the blood all these things right. come in uh but those are very powerful points uh to hit home because that you should be sure to hit up the fact that a ghoul is not just a servant and they are almost what your master is and right. there also in lies right. their danger so uh moving on to the next chapter it is for character creation great for both players that want to play ghouls Great for storytellers if you want to actually write up the character sheet for the ghouls in your game. Awesome. Um, tons of merits and flaws. 
um, you know, information about the different uh, revenant families uh, that serve the Zemis or Shim Shimshi, whatever you call them. You know <laughs> who we're talking about. That's how language works. Um, tells you how to make a character. Um, goes over the whole same general principles of the core rule book. So we said earlier, we'd tell you the differences, right? There's a ghoul and then there's a revenant, but it's in the ghoul book. So what is a revenant? Right. Uh, a revenant is basically further along the line than a ghoul because they're born a revenant. Right. Uh, their, their aging is naturally slowed down uh, to such a point. And they also regenerate their own blood in terms of usage and feeling disciplines and healing. The stasis they're in, though, their aging process is the benefit of getting a dometer. That they're frozen that way. Right. Their mentality and their physiology are better able because they create their own blood uh, to utilize the discipline usage that their masters may teach them. Right. Now, in this book, I believe there are only three of mm -hmm. the Revenant families, and these are all servants in some way, shape, or form to the Shamase. However, the this is not an all-inclusive list. Uh, there are others that come out later in other books. Uh, there are some that existed in the Dark Ages that died off. There, you know, So this is kind of like the tip of the iceberg, and it's something that they will expand on later. Uh, because, you know, the, the Shamasay, they don't have a uh, monopoly on being sick assholes. And you should make your own, honestly. The Revenant gives a very unique, uh, creative approach that storyteller could take to some interesting characters that they may want to portray that wouldn't have a dominator. Right. And uh, so moving on from there, uh, it, like I said, it does go over, um, there's four in here. There's the Bradovich, the Grimaldi, the Obertus, and the Zentosa. And then there's some backgrounds, some ghoul-specific backgrounds for your players. Again, some merits and flaws specific. And then it talks about ghouling other supernatural creatures. And then we get into the storytelling chapter. And um, why wouldn't I want to ghoul a werewolf? Because I want to live. Yeah, right. That's rule number one. Why wouldn't you ghoul a werewolf? Um, they have a beast, and if they frenzy, you die. I mean, really, that, let's... Yeah, and it's, why would they willingly give up... Why would they willingly drink your blood and serve you? That's a really good question. Uh, it's interesting. They've come up with a couple. Like, there's a, I believe a Scarthroat Leech Killer, uh, the Red Talon, who's addicted to vampire blood. Uh, he's a hunter. Yeah. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. He goes and eats and gets the blood. There, There's a big thing with that. Right. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. He killed his father is why it's in there. His father was addicted and he hunted him down. Um, and I think there's one in there where he may, too, a storyteller option, suffer the same curse. But if you know the term Red Talon, you'll get that. If not, just know that werewolves are blurring death monsters that if they get the hungering for the hankering for vampire blood, yeah, I often hear this. Right. I'm going to engage the vessel of transference and hand it to a werewolf and get him addicted to my blood. Um, there are easier ways to kill your character. Yeah, right. In my opinion. And and one thing that they really try to hammer home in here that I think a lot of people are not aware of or maybe don't understand the concepts of, that a blood bond to a human being is not the same as a blood bond to a vampire. A blood bond to a human is a sort of slow, gradual evolution that they will definitely fall in love they may find it very difficult to ignore that second drink of your blood. However, it's not the instant blood bond, the servitude that um, you would normally experience, like if you're trying to bond a vampire. And even that, it's not uh, a an instantaneous 
uh, effect. Here's the here's the thing. It never is instantaneous. It's supposed to be right. three times on three separate nights. You taste of a vampire's blood. You're addicted. That's not drinking a blood trait. That's taste it. Mm-hmm. That's a sexual encounter. That's a, a date where I slipped it in your drink. That's there's there's several. They don't they don't need to drink an entire trait. So yeah, and it's assumed that you who are trying to ghoul this person go through the right steps to make them want you to make it be a benefit to be with you, and. You draw it out because, damn it, it's vampire. Right, of course. We're not trying to make a clock turnstile of of super beings to come and serve us. It's the wrong game. Yeah. You know? Choose your ghouls well. This game should be like long sessions of foreplay, yo. It's, yeah, I mean. And and, and all kidding aside, like, this game is a game about storytelling. It's not a game about statistics. I I, We hear all the time, I want to blood bond the homicide detective. That old boy has a name and he has a life. Do you care to know about him? Nah, I'm just going to hold him down, feed him my blood. You're creating a hunter ghoul. Right, right. I don't know if you're aware of that. You're basically forcing someone to drink your blood and disappearing, and it's a detective. Right. Like, it's their job to hunt assholes like you down. They could go during the day. Like, that's going to go bad. I do all my best efforts to dissuade it. That's why I prefer players to start with a ghoul and they could tell me their relationship. Yep. But the important thing is, I never get relationships turned in where it was I held her down, force fed her my blood right. over three nights. And fucking stuck my fingers down her right. throat. It's so always she beautiful. Yeah, right. We dated in high school and we knew each other and I came back right. and she discovered my condition and well. And then what happens is they get they sit down at the table and they have an experience, much like the opening story in this book. <laughs> <laughs> very much like the opening story. You're talking book. about when it's forced? Right, right. Yeah, when it's forced, it right. goes bad. I'm going to jam my tongue down her throat and vomit my blood all over her face. And I think that was on purpose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The opening story. When I'm talking about the building of the relationship through what is submitted before you even play the character right. is always a good story compared to what I'm doing in game. Right. Because people don't want to spend the time in game to write that up. So it's whatever. It's cool, bro. It's a ghoul. Um, if I have a ghoul, I definitely want them to be on board with what I'm doing. I don't want to treat him bad because I am supposed to be manipulative and keep them on the hook. Also, fear Torador. That's what you're supposed to fucking do. <laughs> Every ghoul should feel like that, that you're their only, their one and only. Every go-to. Get used to this phrase. Five ghouls in a room serving one master as a Torador. And you feign you can't hear a single one of them as you pull out your phone. No one's on your phone. You make it seem that you're busy. Why? One of them did good and everybody saw you kiss the forehead and give them a treat. You know, tell you know, basically give them some affection. The other four saw it, and you pulled out your phone. And then when you're done with the phone, go, oh, I got to take this. Is everybody okay? Mm-hmm. Get used to thinking ahead to do that so you don't have any bad situations. It's a given that those five are going to be catty and fight each other left and right for your attention, and that shit's got to go down. And have fun with it as a Torador. Don't let your storyteller skate if you have a bevy of retainers and, and say that none of them give a shit. Or have a convenient reason as to why you only have one who's a ghoul. Right. Why? Two are manageable. Any more than two, you're out of your mind. Yeah, I think really the important thing here is that this is a whole... It's a whole facet to this game. It's a whole theme that needs to be explored. And, you know, as a player, like Bob said, hold your storyteller accountable. Like, these are my ghouls. Like... I don't want them to be just a, a, a an index card that I pull out right. of my pocket and go, all right, I will now use the ghouls. Like, you know, don't do that. Role play. If you're a player uncomfortable with using your ghouls like that, it's okay. 
that right. you that you use them with the index card. And I'm not shitting on Nate. I'm just saying one day you'll learn. Right. One day you'll see what we're talking about because you want more out of your points. It is XP to get a ghoul through game. Even just because you earned the role play to have a retainer doesn't mean it shouldn't cost you. In fact, it should. Experience points are not like a merit system of nothing. You showed up and you get them. You earned them through role play. That role play was getting that ghoul. Therefore, those points should be spent on what you earned. They shouldn't be spent on whatever you chose to. Right. Um, so moving on from there, of course, you know, storytellers read that storyteller uh, storyteller section. And then after that, we just have uh, some templates. We have different types of ghouls, animal ghouls, mortal ghouls, hunters, oh, man. revenants. I, I forgot about that. Animal ghouls. If anybody's, I mean, obviously you're listening, but the fact is, is that animal ghouls, this book is worth its weight in gold for that alone. So many people think a spawning ground is just deadly when it's in the spawning ground. You're not really thinking about what a gangrel deploys out in the above ground world. Right. You're not thinking about the fact that um, what's more loyal, a typical dog or the dog that guards you during the day because it knows who its master is. They Their beast is called instinct on steroids. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, right. if you think about the Lost Boys and uh, I forget his I think it was Thor. Was that was I believe there was this devil dog they had. I don't recall. She goes to visit him when he's during is asleep in the film. And uh when she goes, this dog tries to tear through a gate to get it oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and get yeah. it Michael. And they're like, Holy shit. And then they get and then, you know, they get away. Yeah. And then later on they find out Thor's a pushover when the master's awake. Why is that? Well, it's because the hound understands one thing. The master is all. And it's loyal. And it wants more of that blood. More importantly, it knows almost instinctively animal ghouls above mortals feel that bond because they don't resist it they're not thinking about why am i wondering why i'm going to the starbucks that he, i met him at the first time right not knowing that that's where he feeds nightly you know that hound by comparison is i'm going to the starbucks because it's where the master hunts and so i'll hunt here he's it's just it's just accepted and that level of fanaticism is quite dangerous for anyone else to approach you and it should be played accordingly I think uh, I, I like the fact that I use Lost Boys because I'll tell you exactly how the animals like to respond. And they use aggression. However, they bring up a term in here. Instincts as a mechanic. They refer to instincts. It should be used. Right. It should be understood. Because a lot of people love rules to back up what they're reading to help them understand it. And it kind of gives you an idea of that relationship. And your big white gator that lives in the sewers is not some amalgam that just swims to the spawning pool and absorbs the blood. Got to remember, everything in a spawning pool, gets a hold of the blood, just like we said in the NAS book. Right. However, that one regnant or dominant takes care of the spawning pool is the only Nosferatu listened to by the albino white gator of doom. Right. <laughs> Every other NAS better be an obfuscate sneaking past that some bitch, or it's snappy time. Right. So, yeah, uh, that's, I mean, that's pretty much going to wrap up the book. Um, now, here's a cool thing about this book. We're close enough to revised that... Um, this book, it's not, this book isn't revised. Like no. this is, this is a book, as far as I know, there isn't any like updated version of this ghoul book, uh, even in V20. I don't, I don't, maybe I'm not sure. I, no, I've never I even yeah, heard of it. I don't, I don't even know how you would. No. So, I mean, this, this is a book that this should be in your collection. This should be in everybody's collection. That's storytelling that's running Vampire the Masquerade. Is it the perfect book? Well, yeah, because I told you, we said at the beginning, at least my opinion, it's boring. It's a boring read because you know the majority of it, but it defines right. what you believe you've come to accept as face face right. value. And it, it brings new dimensions to ghouls. And, and you know maybe it's just going to rehash stuff you already know, but great. 
now you have this book to get all of those details so that, you know, when the time comes to portray them or when the time comes to run a ghoul based game, you have that information. Um, interesting to note, too, this is the same year that uh, Le Ber de Ghouls came out for live action, uh, which they also never revised. It's, you know, the ghoul book is the ghoul book. Um, there are six books total that are part of the Year of the Ally. There is a werewolf book. Um, there's a Changeling the Dreaming book. I think there's like two mage books. Um, yeah, there's there's a bunch of them. So, yeah, all of them are allies, the assistants to the 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 villains or the good guys. Um, so definitely check those out. Um, a lot of those books will get reviewed down the road. Yep. Um, we, we don't, uh, we're not reviewing whole years at, at a time. So when we get there, you'll hear about those, but yeah, um, you can get that, uh, live action book too, which is also revealing to me because that means I remember when, uh, uh the Google book came out for live action. Cause I bought it like right when it came out. Um, so yeah, I think we're, we're right before revised live action comes out. So I never bought that book and I can tell you why. Because you already had this book, um, yeah, honestly, right, like right, Labor, right. Labor to Schools was whatever. I yeah, so when I bought that uh, LARP book, I didn't even know about this book. You know, you know how it goes when you're like 16 years old, and oh, I know how it goes you, for you know, LARPers. It's yeah. like going, oh, there's who cares? Tabletop, I got the LARP book. Well, and, no, I mean, right. I, I think it was more at that time. It was more just the bookstores that I went to. I don't think that they had as great a selection. I just uh, know one thing. I remember players being submitted to play a ghoul and got mad when a cop shot him. <laughs> every time library disc schools they get this cool powers and stuff now you don't get cool powers i can heal your brain's got to be up to heal don't it <sighs> no i can't just see bullet to the head ruins your gouldum i'm sorry <laughs> no my body heals but it doesn't actually I, I wish it would sorry that's a it's probably a nerd words thing but i'm just saying like, yeah that's that's why i didn't get library disc schools but that's neither here nor there yep Alrighty. well that is the end of our judgment our personal opinion. I think it's a good book. On Ghoul's Fatal Addiction. I think it's a I think it's a very important book to have. I think it's one of the essentials. Um, especially like I said, since it's not something that is revised at a later time, the rules don't change. So um definitely pick it up and give it a read. Get a digital copy if you want. Um what are we doing next week, Bob? I know. Do you know? No, I never know. I'll let you know, Sam. It's uh Clan Book Giovanni. <laughs> Finally, we get to Clan Book Giovanni. After going through two of the Giovanni Chronicles, we actually get to finally review the Clan Book that we've been waiting for. It's time for garlic, blur, garlic bread and skulls. That's what we're getting into. <laughs> so where can you find us or reach us? You can reach us uh, on Twitter at uh, 25 Years of Vampire, the Masquerade, uh, 25 Years VTM. Just look at 25 Years. You'll probably find us. Um, if you can't find us there because I didn't give out the correct tag, um, just look up Utility Muffin Labs on Google. We're available on our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com. We have a Twitter, Utility Muffin Labs, at, uh, at Utility Muffin Labs. Uh, we have a Facebook, uh, Utility Muffin Labs at facebook.com. All of those things, you can find us. We have a Discord where we chat, run a game with our Patreon sponsors, those that... Uh, um, donate to us, those that back us and support us. We offer a free game. Well, it's not a free game, but it's a reward for the game. So if you like what, what we do and you want to help to back us, go to patreon.com. Uh, 
We're at 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade on Patreon. Word. If you go to our website to view these, all these links will be there. So ignore my fumbling, bumbling, and just go to the website. Check it out. We're there. You can find everything. UtilityMuffinLabs.com Dot com. Until next week, I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. Correction Couldn't find